against the chill of night. Ancient stories bring life to imagination through tales of heartache and happiness, challenge and victory. The hope of resolution draws us deeper because we know there is still more to tell. sure whether to say happy Thanksgiving or happy post-Thanksgiving or happy Advent. I mean, after all, if you were visiting from uh, another planet or maybe even just a visitor from a remote country, you'd have no idea what holiday we'd been in. After all, in August, you'd begin to see um, an aisle in your local store being decorated with black and orange and candy style you know, piled all the way to the ceiling. And you'd see people rushing to buy this candy in August, only to forget that they bought candy in August and rushed back in October because A, they forgot, or B, someone else in the household found said candy and demolished it and you'd have enough time to go back and get more. Then the store aisle would turn from this black and orange to brown, orange, and yellow, and you'd see turkeys and cranberry. And then suddenly one day you'd show up and it would be all red and green. I mean, it seems like... uh, for, for a, a visitor, they'd be like, so what do you do? You sort of dress up in scary costumes, run around and hoard as much candy so you can bulk up and prepare this like really lengthy for days and whatever. It takes time to do this massive meal only to consume it in 15 minutes. And then the next day, turn around and binge on any song that has angels, mistletoe, snow, or reindeer in it. You'd never know that Dracula, Candy, Turkey, or Pilgrims weren't the warm-up act to the Jesus story. See, without a warm-up act or opening words of explanation, you'd have no idea what was going on. Without a prologue that gives you this backstory, you'd think you just dropped into some crazy scheme by some marketing company about holidays. But Advent, the season we start today, comes with the opening words of explanation. Advent has a prologue. It's a season we reread the backstory that leads up to the birth of Jesus. And today's sermon is about that backstory spoken through the prophets, prologue, God's opening word. Again, I want to read what you heard this morning uh, from the prophet Isaiah. He writes, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy. For in plain sight, they see the return of the Lord, uh, Lord to Zion. Break forth together, to you singing, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Lord, this morning, um, we come to you, Father, um, just from this busy season, knowing that we have this pause, this time of sort of rest to listen to you, to hear from you, to worship you. 
and, and to be with your people. God, guard this time for us so that we may know that you are speaking to us and so that we may know what you're saying to us and how to respond out of that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So some books have prologues, some don't. But have you ever read a prologue um, to a book and hoped you knew the story, where the story was going to go? You, you had these little sort of hints in the prologue and like, oh, I hope it goes this way. Um, to me, prologues are like a weaver's loom. You know, like if you ever see somebody weave on one of those big looms, they have these lengthy threads that hang down. And you know by that how long the project's going to be or, or what the width of the project's going to be. And then you see these horizontal threads that are being woven back and forth and you can begin to pick up just a hint of maybe the colors they're going to use or the pattern they're going to make in this product. But without seeing the whole completed project, you have no idea until it's finished what it's going to look like. Now, the prophet Isaiah understood a good prologue. He saw God's word as this incredible weaving project. Uh, there was these lengthy threads that God had spoken that he knew needed more to be filled in. There was more stories that needed to take place in order for this sort of God's weaving project to come to form. And that's why we have the Old Testament. It's the words that show us these threads, the themes, uh, the stories, the background information that gives us a, a better picture, an overall picture. Uh, this fall, I uh, did a 10-week class. It was sort of a um, get-quick Bible fix class. It's like to get your, like, I need to know this Old Testament in this short amount of time. And we, we actually go through these threads and we look at them and we figure out what is this Old Testament about? But today, I'm going to give you a quicker get fit Bible version of that class. The Old Testament can actually be divided into six segments, okay? Creation, Abraham, Sinai, kings, exile, and temple. It's like this whole thing, it's just the way that the movement of the Bible has been put together, and it sort of tells us the lengthy threads that God has put out there in order for all of his stories to attach to. So we begin with creation. We begin with the words that God spoke creation into being. He spoke creation and said, animals, land, light humans. And it was good. In fact, it was very good. This was God's opening word to humanity, an invitation to be at oneness, to be at peace, to be whole with him. But if you've read all of what happened in that very beginning story, you know that humanity didn't stay there. It, it, it sort of turned away from God's word and broke apart and wanted to do it on their own. But God spoke this word of hope right away. In that very first movement, he said, an offspring will come that will bring you this hope, that will mend this brokenness, that will bring you peace, wholeness, shalom, in another, in another way we can put it. 
But then time passed and another character, another story comes up and God spoke to this man named Abraham. And he said to Abraham, remember I told you that there was hope. There is hope. I will give you descendants as many as the sands on the seashore or the stars in the sky. I will bring them and kings will come from them. They will bless the nations and an offspring will eventually bless the entire world. Time continued to move, and they came to this time of Sinai when there were so many generation after generation after generation, like the sands on the seashore, that they got so numerous that another nation, Egypt, came and captured them and enslaved them. But God said, my story is not ending. It's just beginning. And so he rescues them, and they leave uh, Egypt for the promised land. There were 12 tribes that were formed, this nation of Israel, and they, they began to um, just continue to multiply, and they had God's law that helped them live out what it meant to be under God's reign and under his kingdom. But the brokenness just continued. It continued to just permeate what they did. And so then they came, as each generation grew, they started to cry out for a king. We need that offspring, God. We need that king that will rule over us and tell us what to do and how to behave and how to be a kingdom. And so God gave them King David. And he promised King David that out of you, one of your sons will sit on the throne forever. More hope. But wickedness still continued. And that kingdom that God had brought out of Egypt divided. Now, this is the point in the story where Isaiah, the prophet, actually enters the scene. We, what we read today is when he picks it up and he says, okay, now you know what your history has been, and I'm going to tell you where you're going. In fact, what he was seeing was the fact that uh, the Assyrians, who were from the north, had just marched down and taken away 10 of those tribes. No more tribes, gone. And he said, I know that doesn't feel like hope, but those Babylonians that are coming, yeah, they're going to conquer you too. And they wipe out and take away the nation of Judah, but they take them to Babylon where they sit. But Isaiah says, God is not done. God is not done Isaiah foretells that God's opening word wasn't over, that the day was coming when God's opening word would come and rescue them. And so Isaiah says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. Now, most of the time, when we think of feet, beautiful and feet aren't usually used in the same sentence. Except, which is weird, this is an awkward thing, but while I was on my Camino, um, I was sitting down and a woman who I just met the uh, the night before was threading a blister in one of my toes. And she's holding my feet and she said, wow, you have beautiful feet. Okay, a little bit awkward, but I was so appreciative of the fact that she was helping me out, but it was flattering in a sort of weird way. How beautiful are the feet of this messenger. Now, along with the threads of creation, Sinai kings, we get into this point of exile. 
And so the nation of Israel that had been promised generation after generation of hope that they could live this out and they would see God's kingdom now lived in another kingdom. And they had no idea what was going on. When Babylon invaded Judah and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 BC, they lost all hope. The temple was gone. It was all destroyed. But that's when Isaiah's word comes back to them. He says, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. When Isaiah says this, he's actually talking about the fact that it's, it's, it's a symbol. When God bears his arm, it's a symbol as though he can sweep throughout history, directing history for his purposes. So Isaiah is saying, how beautiful are the feet You hear this message and God's going to bear his arm and bring history about. And after about 70 years of them being in Babylon, he did that. Babylon was overthrown and a new king of Persia came about. And he made a decree and he said to the people of of Israel, you can return, you can go and build, you can build your, your, your city, your gates, and your temple. To them, it was a remarkable uh, turn of events. Remarkable. It doesn't happen that a, that a nation just lets enslaved people just return on their own. But so can you imagine what it must have been like for you to know your history, know all these things, and be standing in a ruined city of Jerusalem or, or the city of Babylon and see a messenger coming over the hills running with this absolutely good news that God was bringing peace, that God was bringing salvation. Of course, they would say his feet were beautiful. This is the good news of peace and salvation. Now, we know that the Old Testament actually closes with them being back in Jerusalem, back in their nation but still under oppression. 400 years goes by and there's silence and we see the nation of Greece take them over and then the nation of Rome take them over. And God had not returned to them. So remember I said that prologues sort of are like these uh, introductory to the backstory. They send out these threads that you can sort of attach different stories to. Um, And lots of times, Prologues keep you guessing. You really don't know where the story is going to go. You might have some idea, but you can only guess. So now they're living under Roman rule, and they started to think back to their prophet, Isaiah. And they're starting to wonder, is this what he meant? Is this what he meant? Now, prophets, just for an aside here, prophets um, actually do a couple of different things. They foretell and they foretell. So they actually tell what's happening in the time that they're in. Here's the thing that's coming. This is God's sign. This is what's going to happen. But sometimes they also tell something in the future. So they, sometimes the prophets have double meaning in their word. So how beautiful is the messenger who comes with this good news? That meant to them, Persia had defeated Babylon and they could return. Um, and so they, they're, they're trying to think about 
that scripture in such a way that they're like, does it mean something different? Is there more hope? Is God actually doing more in this scripture? Now, one of the things I'm really, really enjoying is the fact that I have been over at CC Kids uh, doing some revisioning and uh, building back up the team of volunteers over there. And I have to tell you, when we talk about uh, Bible stories and we talk about these threads, it's amazing to watch the kids put this stuff together. Uh, <laughs> it's amusing at times, I have to tell you, um, because I say, okay, we're going to hear the story about Isaiah. And they say, okay, which page number on it? So I spend five minutes telling non-readers what page number is in their Bible, and they all are trying to search, and we all have to make sure everyone has the right page number, even though they can't read them. It's okay. It's okay. Their Bibles are open, right? And then I say, okay, so um, now we're going to write in our gratitude journals maybe something that you're grateful for, something that you just heard from the story. And they're like, how do you spell? How do you spell? How do you spell? And you have to re- make sure you're not spelling Halloween for one and Christmas for the other. And the other one goes, there's an S in that. Like, no, no, no. And then they're like, yeah, I have to just rip up my whole page now. And you're like, okay, breathe. We're fine. And then you have to make sure that you get all the pencils back because they end up stabbing each other, you know. And then we finally relax and we're like, okay, did you like this story? But there's a special time at the very end of the story uh, that we get to say, we ask them, so we just told you the story. You've had to time to reflect. We're going to be quiet. We're going to ask God, what is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? And little by little, hands go up, and I hear things like, God just told me he loves me. God just told me he has a promise for me. We're talking first graders and second graders here. God just told me and showed me a place where I can be at peace. God's word is for me. It is really one of the most joyful times of my week. This is not a shameless plug, but if you're ever interested... (laughs) So the nation of Israel is back in their land, right? And, and, and their temple is there, and, and God is not there, and Rome is ruling them, and they are so confused, but they still have this hope because these prophets have said, there's hope coming. Read my word again. It's coming, right? We see in Isaiah, he, re- he writes words like, for a child will be born to us, A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And Matthew, the gospel writer, says this, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, there are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And that's why when Isaiah says, how beautiful are the feet on the mountains, are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, your God reigns. Finally, in the story, 
in a little town of Bethlehem, a descendant of Abraham and of David, is born God's opening word. Jesus is God's opening word. John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Jesus is God's opening word. God knew what he was doing way, way back then when he was starting that weaving project and sending out the threads. He knew what he was doing. He knew that one day his opening word would come to save us. Jesus is not the message, just the messenger. He is the message. It is through him that God has established peace with us. He is our good news. He is our salvation. He is the prologue to our whole story. And if he's the prologue, that means we are still in the process of the story being told. Way before we even knew we needed this peace, we needed this wholeness, we needed this oneness with him, God's opening word is Jesus. So now, what is God saying to you? For some of you, you're like, I had no idea that Christmas had such a big backstory. Great. For some of you, you are just realizing, I was playing with words. That prologue and opening, the op- God's opening word was just one person, not all these words of the Old Testament. Jesus is God's opening word. For some of you, you're like, yep, I've heard this. This is good. This is good. But what do I do? Right? I've been through lots of Christmases, lots of Advents. What do I do now? Um, this week alone, this morning as well, I keep hearing people saying, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. People are exhausted. We are exhausted. And did you know that exhaustion is the gateway drug to moral, spiritual, and emotional sort of failure? When we're exhausted, we do dumb things. When we're exhausted, we get confused. When we're exhausted, we get really cranky. And we are exhausted because we are trying to remain unscathed in the culture and political wars that we're in the midst of. We're exhausted from trying to climb ladders of success that other people tell us to. We're exhausted from the news, from the pandemic, from each other. Our kids are exhausted from our schedules, our expectations, our dreams. The world is exhausted because of overusage or pollution and the need for, there's just a constant need for us to consume. We're all just plain exhausted. And we're exhausted with the amount of words that are used today that that make us try to define one side over the other, pull us from one viewpoint to the other, between news feeds and political agendas, and in everything that we hear, we're exhausted. We're exhausted. Because the world is trying to tell us that their message is beautiful. That their messengers are beautiful. That they have beautiful feet. But they're not. The world's messages aren't beautiful. 
they don't have beautiful feet, but they're trying to grab us and show us and redefine what does it mean to be beautiful. And it's just plain exhausting. Now, I don't know that um, we fare much better in the church. I think we have bought into some of the world's language, like, you know, a healthier, leaner, better you, more successful, creative, like all these things that we should be striving for, that every day that comes into your inbox, you're like, if I just did this, if I could just be this, I would be, right? Uh, We're supposed to have smarter, more well-rounded, more talented children. We're supposed to be living our best life now. They sound like beautiful words, but are they? Are they leading us to God's opening word? What if this Advent, instead of having Jesus sit this one out in a manger scene in our yard, we engaged with him, with his word, as God's opening word? I believe we have an opportunity right now in this Advent to sort of reset, to recalibrate, to re-examine what we're doing, what the patterns, the habits, and all that stuff that we've gotten involved in, and redefine what is meant by beautiful. So I want to challenge you this month, and I want you to really take it seriously. I want you to reassess what you're doing I want you to look at the way that you're spending money or the the way that you're spending time. Um, There's a lot of time wasted on just going from Facebook to a news feed to watching TV to watching movies to just, you know, shopping. All of our time actually matters. So I want you to reassess what you call beautiful. I want you to reassess and ask yourself, is my time, my finances, my schedule, my life life matching up to what God calls is beautiful? God defines beautiful like this. Jesus' feet were beautiful when he proclaimed the good news of the cross. It was Jesus' feet that were washed and anointed for burial. And it was his feet that were pierced on the cross. And it was his feet that walked out of the grave. God's opening word also knelt and washed the feet of those disciples who were about to betray him and those that he was calling to follow his example. Those are beautiful feet. And so as you spend this month, maybe it's just every Sunday when you go ahead and light that that, uh, Advent uh, candle at your house or when you come here, you think about How do I define beautiful? And remind yourself of the ways in which God talks about beautiful. And so I'm giving you three words to remember, and these are the three ways you can think about this. God's opening word. Simple, right? So first of all, what you're doing, how you're spending your time, is it God's peace? Does it bring peace to you? Is it bringing peace to others? Does it create the space inside that will bring you peace? Or is it causing you anxiety and fear and exhaustion? So the moment you feel exhausted, the moment you feel anxious, the moment you feel fearful, you might want to say, maybe this is not God's peace. So first word, God's peace. Remember that. Second is God's opening. 
what you're doing and how you're speaking and what you're listening to, does it sound like an opening for God to enter your life or for your neighbor's life or your family's life? Do those words bring God's opening into your heart or does it feel like a closed door? Does it feel like you're closing people off and shutting people out? Does it sound more like a grocery list of the must-dos, must-haves, you know, have-to-strive, grasping at? Or does it sound like an invitation uh, into a life with Jesus? God's peace, God's opening, and God's word. Here's the tough one for our busy schedules. Are we centering our lives around the person of Jesus, his ways, his works, and his words? Are we steeping ourselves into the way of Jesus? Do we know the ways of Jesus? Do we know the stories of Jesus? Do we know how he acted? Do we know how he, he proceeded with his ministry? Are you listening to him now? That's centering your life around um, the word. Salvation of wholeness and oneness and forgiveness and redemption only comes through Jesus Christ. And so when we center and reassess, we have to keep asking that question, is this about Jesus? In the words of uh, the kids, I hope this is what you hear. Jesus loves you. His word is for you. He is with you, he is for you, and he is inviting you to dwell and remain in him. So I'm going to do what I do in in kids' ministry, and I'm going to count to 30. You guys can all close your eyes, and I want you just to spend the next 30 seconds listening to what God is saying to you.